Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Story is told of an American tourist traveling by bus through Italy. And there's a guide uh, there on the bus that is telling them a little bit about the history of the beautiful villages and towns as they pass through. Uh, at the very first stop, the American asks, raises his hand, asks a question. And they get to a little village. He says, how many great men were born here? And the guy smiles, and uh, like he's saying, there were no great men born here. Solo piccoli bambini. No great men born here, only little babies. That's the way we all start out, right? Whether you're Socrates or Genghis Khan, King George or George Washington, Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler. Somebody once held these little babies in their arms and looked at them, kind of like you and I do, and says, I wonder, what child is this? What is this baby going to be like? What kind of man will they be when they grow up? In one way or another, each of the men I listed, they, they made history. This morning, we're going to begin a series about a baby who doesn't just make history. He defines history. He splits history in half between B.C. and A.D. And he changes the destiny of every single person who ever lived. Listen. He changes your destiny. We're going to go back and we're going to look at a prophecy given centuries before he was born that answers a very simple question. What child is this? Our text is Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. Would you stand please in honor of our Lord and his word? And let us listen to what the Spirit says to his church this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that Brother George sang about this morning. Whatever needs we have, we can bring to you. And we can leave them there. Because, Lord, you will answer our prayers and you will work in our lives. You'll give us what we ask for or you'll give us something better. But the reason why we can even come to you in prayer is not because of us. It's because of our Savior. It's about the one who, whose birth that we will celebrate soon. That baby who will become all these things that Isaiah lists off for us. All these names describe who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. And my prayer this morning is that you would help each one of us to open up our hearts. Lord, too often the devil closes our hearts. He he gets us occupied with our worries and our fears. He gets us consumed with the things going on around us. He gets us consumed with our discouragement, our grief. Lord, I pray this morning that the Spirit will open our hearts and we will find the healing that we need this morning through the power of this child that was given. 
this man who is our Savior and our King, and in whose name we pray this morning, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When I first became a Christian and I would start reading the, uh, the prophets, all I could see was how angry God seemed to be all the time. He was always mad about something. And he was always listing off everything that the Israelites were doing wrong, listing off how he was fixing to rain judgment on them. His wrath was about to be poured out on them. And there is some of that in the prophets. But what I missed when I first read them was how much hope there was, how much grace there was that God showered upon them. The prophet Isaiah is a good example. He is a messenger of hope. He prophesied somewhere around the 6th century uh, B.C. And he prophesied, he gave a message from God that was giving hope to Israel in their darkest days. They had enemies that were threatening them on their borderlands from without. They had moral corruption within their cities, destroying them. And Isaiah does diagnose the sickness. He says, listen, guys, this is what's wrong. This is what needs to change. This is what's going to bring God's judgment. He, he spends time on that. But then he says, God's got a simple remedy for all the problems and all of the sin and all of the guilt, all of the evil. Here's the answer. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Israel's hope is not in its armies. It's not in its weapons. It's not in some social program or psychological therapy. That's not going to get them out of this mess. Their only hope is this little baby, this child, this son. Now, to get the idea of, of how that may sound to Israelites, imagine, imagine you're watching the news and... Uh, let's say CNN is interviewing this, this preacher. He's saying, preacher, you know, this world's in a mess. We've got Islamic terrorism. We've got people that are addicted to opioids. We've got families falling apart. We've got a government that's corrupt. We've got all these problems. Preacher, what do you think? What do you think we need to do? What do you think will we'll solve all these problems? And the preacher says, well, there's this baby. This baby. What can a baby do? Of all the most helpless creatures in this world, there's none more helpless than a baby. How in the world can a baby make that kind of difference? Preacher, if, 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 that's, if God's solution is a baby, that must be some kid. And Isaiah says, that's what you need to find out. What child is this? Isaiah answers that question, what child is this? with four names. And in the next four times that I get together with you, we're going to look at each one of those names. The first one here is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew word translated wonderful means marvelous. It means, means miraculous. Now everybody look up here. I'm not talking about wonderful like a magician's trick. You know, David Copperfield was the last magician I ever saw do anything on television, and you'd, you'd see some of the things he did. you say, how in the world did he do that? How did he make the Statue of Liberty disappear? 
How did he make the airplane? Did y'all see the airplane? We had a circle of people around it and he made it disappear. How did he do that? That's not the kind of wonderful I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the wonderful uh, special effects on the Justice League or some other movie. And you say, man, that is just, that is just powerful. That is, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that is real. And you look at it and it takes your breath away. It just leaves you standing there like, I can't believe that. That is awesome. Wonderful. This word, meaning something so powerful, something so amazing, refers to something that only God can do. Only God can do. Now, let me make it clear to you. I do think babies are wonderful. Okay? Some people say, I've, I've seen some ugly babies. I don't know that I've ever seen an ugly baby. Never seen ugly baby. They are wonderful. The most wonderful, one of the most wonderful things that's ever happened to me is being there with all three of my sons were born. But it's not miraculous. So, oh, brother Mike, yes it is. No, it's not. Women have babies all the time. They don't. They tell you what. Most of them have babies without God's help. They don't have any supernatural angels coming down to make it happen. But this baby is different. Uh, Brother Mike, what's so different about this baby? He's wonderful in a way that other babies are not. First of all, he's born to a virgin. He's born to a woman without a human father. I'll tell you something, babies are born every day, but they're not born like that every day. His father is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. He is God the son. His birth fulfills hundreds of prophecies made thousands of years before. Wise men from the east travel hundreds of miles just to visit him, just to worship him. Shepherds leave their sheep to visit him. This baby will grow up to be a man who will heal disease. Well, big deal. I got a doctor that heals diseases. He didn't heal diseases through medicine. He just touched. He just spoke. And he brought healing. He cleanses lepers. He gives sight to the blind, gives hearing to the deaf, puts the lame back on their feet. He gets out in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, and he says, be quiet, and it it goes quiet. He speaks to demons, and they flee. He amazes crowds with his teaching. He invites the drunkard and the prostitute to be forgiven. He slices and dices hypocrites. Sends them away bleeding. He rides into town like a king and then he dies on a cross like a criminal. Three days later, he walks out of his tomb alive and well. A lot of people, they'd come before Jesus and some of them would look at him and they'd see the things he did and their mouth would just drop open. I've never seen anything like that. But on that silent night, I have to believe that as Joseph and Mary look down into that little face, they really don't appreciate how wonderful he truly is. And my question is, do you? It's been 2,000 years since he was born. If you grew up in church, you grew up hearing about him every single Christmas. You grow up seeing him everywhere this time of year, sing songs about mangers and angels and snowmen and Santa Claus and 
his pictures on Christmas cards, and maybe there's a few films where he's mentioned. Yet it is so easy to lose the wonder. One of the saddest things anybody ever told me, the saddest thing, it was, it was said by a very good man whom I love. He's going to be with the Lord now. He once told me, Christmas is just another day. It's just another day. Christmas is for kids. Let me tell you something. And please take this in love. If all you can say is Christmas is for kids, then all you've ever known is Christmas is about Santa Claus. You don't know what it's about as far as Jesus is concerned. If Christmas is just for kids, then we don't need to celebrate it. It's not just for kids. Christmas is about rediscovering the wonder of who this baby really is. What has this baby really done? What is he going to do? You know what he promised? He said when he, the night before he left, he said, I'm leaving, going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Don't tell me Christmas isn't wonderful. That is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened. Amen. The real question is, is it wonderful to you? If it's not, then your eyes are not on that baby. They're on something else. If, that, if the birth of the Savior is not wonderful to you, then your mind is consumed with everything else under the sun, and you've forgotten the reason why we celebrate. It's so easy to lose the wonder. It's so easy to get bogged down with busyness and getting presents. So easy to walk by that manger and forget who, it is, who is there. Is Jesus wonderful to you? What child is this? Someone once said that the heart of worship is wonder. I think that's true. I think it's when we lose the wonder that we start to lose our worship. This child is wonderful. He is worthy of our worship. But he's not only called wonderful. He's the wonderful counselor. And the word here means uh, one who advises. One who leads by superior knowledge and wisdom. If you go to a counselor, you go to a counselor because you need help. You go to a credit counselor. I've got all this debt. I need to figure out some way to pay it all back. Some way to handle all the creditors. You go to a marriage counselor. My marriage is in a mess. It's breaking apart. I need to find some way to fix it, some way to bring us back together. That's why counselors get paid the big bucks. They have the answers to the questions that you have. To the problems that you have, they have solutions. But the problem with most counselors is that they're only human. They don't know everything whether you're talking about a pastor or a psychiatrist or a social worker, they don't know it all. Their knowledge is limited. They may not even know everything you need to know. On the other hand, the wonderful counselor does. He knows everything you need to know. Colossians chapter 2 
And verse number three says this, In him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, there are a lot of things you can figure out on your own. Okay, there's some things you've got enough sense, you've got enough uh, maybe education, maybe enough experience, maybe enough wisdom. You can figure out those things on your own. But when it comes to the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, when it comes to the things that you can't figure out, where do you go? Where do you go to find the answers? Well, Isaiah says you go to the wonderful counselor because he knows everything you need to know. Never question that you ask that he doesn't know the answer. There's never a problem that you have that he doesn't have the solution. I was reading about a college student right before break. He's taking an economics exam and uh, he's made the mistake of not studying. He has not studied for this test. And so he starts looking at the test, and the more he looks, the more confused he gets. And finally, he gives up. This is what he writes on his paper. Only God knows the answers to these questions. Only God knows the answers to these questions. Merry Christmas. And after break, his professor gives him his paper back, and he writes this on it. God gets 100, you get a zero. <laughs> Happy New Year. Sometimes the answers you need, only Jesus knows. You need wisdom that's beyond your understanding. You're dealing with a complicated situation that you can't figure out. You're facing some perplexing problems. You have a choice to make. You don't know which road to take. How are you going to find the right path? Isaiah says it's the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. I don't know why it is. We have a problem we can't handle. We have a situation we can't figure out. We have a, a need for guidance. And where do we go? Oh, I've just got to tell you about this. i got to tell you. Tell, what would you do? What would you do? Go ahead. Say amen or oh me. That's what you do. You pick up the phone. You call somebody. And usually what you do is you call somebody that you know is going to tell you what you want to hear. You're not going to call somebody that's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. Well, goodness knows some people turn on the television. And there's Dr. Phil. Really? That's the best you can do. You're going to listen to Dr. Phil. Let me tell you one place, never go. If you're sick, do not go to WebMD online. Did you don't know WebMD? Does anybody here? You go online to WebMD. I had a splinter in my finger. I, I, I Googled it, went on WebMD. By the time I got finished, I had cancer. I was going to lose my finger, probably my whole hand. I'm like, no, we're not going back there again. We go to all kinds of different places. And you know where the last place we end up is Jesus. It's the last person we asked. He's the last one we go to. He ought to be where we go first. Amen. If you have a need. The wonderful counselor can meet that need. If you need to know God this morning, you don't need to know who he is, what he's like. You need to know how to get rid of your guilt. 
You have a problem with your marriage or your family or your friendships. You're struggling with temptation or discouragement or grief. The wonderful counselor knows everything you need to know. And he's not stingy. What you do not know, what you cannot know by yourself, Jesus knows and he's not stingy. But you do have to know how to access his counsel. In other words, you need to know how to get what he knows from where he is to where you are. How do you do that? Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to another passage of Scripture. Turn over to the New Testament, the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'll give you just a second to get there. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. How does the wonderful counselor reveal his knowledge and his wisdom to you? James chapter 1, verses, verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, if you're going to get... The knowledge and the wisdom from the wonderful counselor to your life, the first thing you've got to do is ask. You've got to ask. Why is asking so important? Well, ask any parent of a toddler. Okay? Baby's born. They can't talk. How do they let you know what they want? They cry. When they're crying, do you need your diaper changed? Do you want something to eat? Do you want something, you want somebody to hold you? Are you too cold? Are you too hot? It's a guessing game. What what do they want? You don't know. They've only got one way of letting you know what they want. And as they get older, you know, they learn how to do different things. Uh, uh, I remember my children doing that. What does that mean? something a little more specific, right? So you teach them. If you want something, what do you do? Come on, what do you do? Ask for it. Now, you're not just trying to be mean to the child. You're trying to help the child understand that there are sometimes you're going to need something that you don't have, and the only way anybody's going to know that you need it, the only way you're going to get it is by asking. And by the way, when you ask, don't forget to say please. We teach our children to do that. The same principle goes for adults. When you come to God, you come to the wonderful counselor, and you ask, what you're saying is, I can't figure this out on my own. I need your help. I can't solve this problem on my own. I need you to show me. Asking is acknowledging that you need the wonderful counselor's help. And when you ask, then he'll give it. How does he give it? Well, let me tell you two ways. The way he gives help, first of all, is through his word. His favorite way to tell us what we need to know and to show us what we need to do is through his word. That's why it's so important you read the Bible. It's not because it's January 1st and you want to make it through the Bible in a year. It's because this is where the answers are. 
This is where the answers are. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, once said this, when you read God's word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me, it is talking about me. Now, I would change that in just one little way. When you read the Bible, you must constantly say to yourself, he is talking to me. He is talking about me. See, you can pick up this book and say, oh, that's a very interesting story about Abraham. I'll have to remember that. Uh, I kind of like that story about Samson. I'd like to have long hair and strong arms. Uh, uh, that's a, a bad Peter. I'll tell you what. I just don't know about Peter. This book is not about Peter. And it's not about Abraham. And it's not about Samson. It's about God. And it's about God speaking to you and God speaking about you. Now, if you don't realize that, you will never get what you need out of this book. You'll never get it. You've got to say, he is talking to me. He is talking about me. Lord, help me listen. Lord, show me what I need to know. Lord, show me how I need to live. God's favorite way of Counseling us is through his word. Let me tell you another way. He counsels us through other people. Through people who love God, people who love us. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. When you ask Jesus for help, he will not only speak through his word, he'll speak through other people. Now, please don't, don't get this mixed up. Well, I was got saved in a church to where people were always, always coming to me and saying, God told me to tell you this. And I always tell them, listen, that's very rude of him. That's very rude of him to tell you because I was talking to him this morning. He didn't mention that. I'm very wary when somebody says, God told me to tell you something. I said, listen, I'm listening to him all the time. But there are times when God uses other people to guide you. God uses other people to teach you. Pastors, parents, friends. You have to be careful. But you also have to remember that he does use people for that purpose. One of the most amazing things to me, first of all, is that anybody wants to hear me preach. But sometimes when I'm preaching, people, people will come up to me and they say, Preacher, you were talking right to me. And I said, No, I wasn't. You were not on my mind as I was preparing this message. As I was seeking the Lord, your face did not pop up. That wasn't me talking to you. I mean, it was my voice. That was the Lord speaking to you. Let me remind you of one other little thing just in passing. God won't always tell you what you want to know. He'll tell you what you need to know. Some people ask God questions and say, well, God, why? Or God, you know, you ask a question and, and you don't get an answer. And I have discovered this, that that is God's uh, gentle way of telling you that's none of your business. That's not something you need to know. I'll tell you what you need to know. I always, always tell you what you want to know. So God, the counselor, he speaks to us through his word, but there's, he speaks to us through other people, but there's one other thing you have to do besides ask him. And that is you have to trust him. Maybe you've had this happen to you before. Somebody calls you up on the phone and they say, now I've got this problem. This is what's going on in my life. What would you do? 
And you give them your best shot. I, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And they say, you know, I thought, I thought so. I thought that's what I ought to do. That sounds like the right. Thank you for talking to me. And then they go off and do the very exact opposite. Whatever it is you told them to do, they do the opposite of it. And then they get in a mess. And you know what you want to say? I told you so. I told you what you want to do. You don't do that. Don't do that. God doesn't work that way. This scripture says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. What that means is this. You're asking in faith. You are committed to do whatever he tells you to do beforehand. In other words, you're not going to God and say, listen, I want to get all my options. This one said this, and this one said that, and this one said that. Tell me what you think, and then I'll kind of add it to the, to, the, to the pile. Do you know what you get from God when you do that? Nothing. Nothing. Because what you're saying is, I don't really trust you to know what I need to do. My faith is not in you. It is in me to decide what I want to do. You get nothing from God that way. The way you receive counsel is you ask him, and before you ask him, say, Lord, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it beforehand. Lord, what you tell me is not going to be an option. What you tell me is what I'm going to do. If you're looking for options, you get nothing from God. But if you ask the wonderful counselor, and your faith is in him to obey him, whatever he says do, you can expect his knowledge, you can expect his wisdom, you can expect his leading. Tell you a true story, it did not happen to me, it happened to another pastor. And it was near Christmas and the pastor gets a phone call from this guy who says, I, I need to talk to somebody, I need a counselor. So the preacher says, well, meet me at the church and we'll step into my office. And when he gets there, the man's there and he tells him, walks into the office, tells his tale of woe. Apparently about a, a decade earlier, he murders his wife in a fit of anger. He's convicted of manslaughter. He spends most of that decade in prison. He says, preacher, what I need you to help me with is my wife and I had a daughter. And when I went to prison, they sent her to some in-laws. She's in their custody. He said, I have not seen her in 10 years. I would not know my daughter if I saw her walking down the street. His eyes filled with tears and his words were filled with pain. He says, I haven't seen my daughter. I, I, I want to find some way, some way to get back with my daughter, some way to know her. And the preacher starts to talk to him. And finally the man puts up his hands. He says, now preacher, I don't mind you talking to me. But let's leave Jesus out of this, okay? And finally the preacher has prayer with the man and the man leaves really no better off than when he came. And the preacher thinks to himself, that is the whole problem. You've left Jesus out of everything. I'm reasonably certain nobody here is dealing with this kind of situation. But I can tell you this, whatever situation you're dealing with, you won't find help 
by leaving Jesus out of it. Somehow, you've got to find a way to bring Jesus into your situation. You've got to find a way to discover that wonder of who he is and what he's done and what he is doing. Somehow, you've got to turn away from your own wisdom and your own knowledge and the wisdom and knowledge of everybody else and go to him and ask him and then believe him. Be willing to do what he says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Would you bow your heads with me?